Hey there, listener. I want to thank you for listening to the National Land Realty Podcast. Now, please remember to like, share, and review our show. If you can, take a second, hit pause, and give us a quick review. It only takes about a minute to write what you think about the content that you hear on this show. Good or bad, we want to hear it. Thank you in advance. Now on with the show. Welcome to episode number 25 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. In this episode, we'll be talking with land professional Jonathan Stevens of Madison, Mississippi, about managing land for wild game habitat. Land management and real estate have been in Jonathan's blood from the start. He has worked in real estate for 10 years, manages his family's 5,000-acre property, and is a graduate of Mississippi State University in real estate finance. Jonathan brings his knowledge and his experience in managing land to this conversation on how to improve land for deer, turkeys, and other wild game animals. Now sit back and enjoy the show. I am sitting here with Jonathan Stevens out of Mississippi. And uh, Jonathan, just tell me real quick, you know, we, we talked a little bit previously, but I want you to run me through sort of how you got to national land and and uh, sort of, you know, what you do at national land, because it's always good to kind of know your specialties. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got into national land about five years ago. Um, like we talked about before, I had been in real estate six years prior with, with other brokerages. And, uh, you know, was, uh, my broker Beth McClellan was making the switch, uh, to national land and had us all at a meeting and Ronnie Richardson, Mark Lewis were there making the pitch and telling us about it. And, uh, obviously within minutes, you know, it was definitely something I was interested in and, um, you know, thought it was a great idea, did some training, learned even more and you know now five years in it's been it's been a great switch for me from a personal standpoint and just you know from a business standpoint it's been uh it's been a good fit for me and uh can't complain and, and looking forward to many more good years and you graduated with a degree in real estate finance from mississippi state university so you you had real estate as an objective the whole way through i did my first year or two in college i was kind of I may have a declared a major, but I was mainly undecided, like a lot of people. Um, still kind of feeling things out. I have a family background in, you know, real estate, uh, hunting, cattle, uh, a lot of outdoorsy stuff. And uh, I actually think I started my major in accounting and after an accounting class, I knew that was out. Uh, so I thought real estate <laughs> finance, you know, I'd still have a business background, but you know, was hoping to uh, do the real estate side. So in, in like a lot of college classes, it doesn't exactly teach you everything from a, from a real estate standpoint, there was still a lot of learning, you know, kind of as you go, uh, like in anything, but uh, it gave me a base knowledge of just basic real estate principles and, um, you know, got me started and, uh, you know, jumped right out of college, jumped into it, uh, got my license a month or two after graduation and been doing it ever since. That's awesome. It, 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 like the more I talk to to agents, a lot of them kind of stumble into real estate just based on, you know, they'll, they'll will have started out in the finance sector or some other service-based industry, or, you know, there's the other route of, of working, you know, in agriculture and managing agriculture or working, doing government work or, or doing forestry or something like that. It's, it's not very often you find somebody that like targeted real estate right out of the gate. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it just, just had a lot of exposure to the outdoors. Uh, you know, my, my family has been in the cattle business for, I mean, my great granddad was in it for, you know, over a hundred years ago. So I grew up, you know, going to the farm on weekends during holidays, hunting, uh, riding four wheelers, you know, typical, you know, young guy, young man stuff. Um, so yeah, I got got a lot of exposure, and you know, with the real estate and being outdoors, it's, there's a lot of perks. You know, get, being your own boss, making your own schedule, 
not having to sit at a desk every day from eight to five, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and just, you know, I, some people just like being outdoors and, and it works for them. And uh, I would definitely say I fall into that category. Yeah. So, and you manage a 5,000 acre farm, like it's, it's, it's hard to quantify that in your head exactly how big that is, but a 5,000 acre farm that your family has that you, you also help manage aside from doing your day-to-day work. Right. Right. That's right. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, very blessed. Uh, my great granddad bought it all in, uh, I think the sixties and seventies. It's all, it's all contiguous. It's basically one whole block of land minus like maybe there's one 40 acre block in the middle that we don't own. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so very blessed, you know, got to grow up to that. I, I didn't have it. I don't have a dime in it. Uh, so that's not, nice. uh, it's kind of an inherited thing, but, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where, I mean, you obviously, I love to hunt, be outdoors, but you also have that sentimental, you know, it's your, your family's land. You take pride in it, you know, so I'm obviously going to make it a priority to maintain the land, make it the best it can be. And I feel like that does benefit me from a real estate side. You know, I have some experience in that and I can give advice to landowners or people buying land on, you know, I'm no expert, but I can tell them, you know, this is the kind of property you need to look for, or this is what you can do to your property to make hunting more enjoyable for you and maybe kill bigger deer, more turkeys, that sort of thing. I mean, I I think there's, there's a lot of things you can do, a lot of flexibility. Um, You know, there's, there's work to be done to make it better and also still be, fun and not strenuous activity nonstop. You know, there, there's a, there's a good sweet spot there, but, but I, I think that's, you know, that's why I like to do it. Yeah. Well, and, and there's also the fact that you get to practice what you preach on a daily basis. You don't, you don't have to just walk in and talk to somebody and say, Hey, you should do this to your land. It's like, well, have you done it? Well, yes, yeah. I oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got personal, I've got personal experiences from what, what does work, what doesn't work where I've had the most success, um, you know, and it, it just, it varies region to region. You know, we're in the Southeast, we're in Mississippi. So it's not the same as land in the Midwest, Northeast, out West, wherever, but a lot of principles, you know, from a hunting and land standpoint still apply, maybe some subtle differences, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's stuff, you know, I'll give anyone advice if they ask or, or, or want it. Um, you know, if, if they choose to use it or not, so be it. But uh, I'm happy to help. I, you know, I, I love getting, whether it's just friends or past clients sending me pictures of deer they killed or something. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, pe- people work to make a living, but they also, you know, there's also a side of you that likes to, you know, enjoy your job and see other people benefit, you know, not just, not just from a financial standpoint as an investment, but, you know, creating those memories, you know, with family and friends. Oh yeah. So, so let's jump into that a little bit. Um, You know, do you have a background in improving land uh, for wildlife habitat? You practice it all the time and you consult people all the time to finding tracts of land for, for potential wildlife management, including recommending upgrades to that land and improvements that they can make to that land. Um, so yeah, let's jump in a little bit. So if, if I'm somebody on the market and, and, and so I, I'm, you know, I want a recreational tract. I think a lot, a lot of people do want, you know, land for recreation and whether that is hunting or just getting outside. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah. Let, let's, let's go into it for hunting. Cause we are in that time of season where dead in the middle of it. So, uh, so, so, you know, what are you looking for? If if you like base level, you know, what does a landowner want to look for in Mississippi if they're looking for hunting land? I mean, you know, and you you really start off by okay, where are you looking? Uh, I think I think if there was no money involved, everyone would want to be in the Mississippi Delta just because you know it's close to the Mississippi River. Uh, the the deer are bigger, the hunting's better you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, Mississippi really all across the state for the most part, you know, offers a chance to kill mature, good bucks, uh, good deer. So that, that's a good thing. Um, you know, really starting off my, my number one recommendation would be buying a place that has diversity. And by diversity, I mean, you know, some acreage and timber, whether, you know, let's just say 50% of it's timber. Well, in a perfect world, you would have both pine and hardwoods. So you got diversity. It's not just 
the same thing all the way across the board. Um, another thing I would look for would be, okay, it's nice to have some open land. And by that, I mean, you have food plot opportunities. You can let some of it grow up to hold deer, provide cover, bedding, food, that sort of thing. Obviously creeks, uh, ponds, lakes, you know, water sources for deer. Really, I mean, if I'm just building the perfect property, I'm having one of all those things, creek, pond, uh, timber, open land, whether it's pasture or something you can plant trees in, something that has a little bit of everything um, would be would be what I would recommend to somebody. I feel like that just gives you the most chance to, you know, biggest chance to maximize everything. You you, you have everything a deer could want if, if, if you have all those. And that's, you know, that's where I would start from a looking standpoint. You know, you're never going to find you know, everything on a property, but, but that's, that's where you start looking in my opinion. Gotcha. And and I know one of the things that, that a lot of you look at, you know, when you're, when you're looking at a, a hunting parcel is, is sort of, you know, what's the surrounding neighbors doing as well, right? If, right. if they don't have food and cover, if they don't have water, it's hard to build up a population just because, you know, everybody else isn't playing by the same script. So do, do you kind of like good, you know, I'm sure you're Google Maps searching other people's properties. Are you knocking on doors or anything like that to figure it out? Or, you know, I'm mainly looking at you know what other people do. I'm looking at maps. Obviously, you would prefer the a place that you're buying would have large landowners around. Number one, that's less probably means less hunters. Um, you know, they're probably on a better deer management plan. Maybe not, but. Uh, you know, pref- in, a, in a perfect world, you would absolutely want large landowners around you. You would also like them to have a like, like-minded property like yours. Um, maybe there's a neighbor that has row crop fields that provide summer food for deer. I mean, that's that's a that's a big thing in the, in these parts. Um, you know, especially in the Delta or places where there's cropland. Um, that's just summer food. That's free food for for, for your deer. Uh, and from, from a larger standpoint. So, you know, from a nutritional genetics, all that thing that really checks all the boxes, but, but yeah, there, there absolutely is crucial to have the proper scenario from a adjoining landowner neighbor uh, standpoint. Right. So, so, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to jump on specifics because land is variable and no piece of land right. is the same. But if if you were to look at something, let's so and it, and I say that because if you were to buy, say, a lot of land that that has been maintained for wildlife, it it becomes fairly self apparent, right? You've got your you got your food area, you've got your forage, you've got your cover, you've got your water, and you've got your shooting lanes and stuff like that. Like you get that managed. But yeah. let's say let's say you have that land that is not managed. What are some of the 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 first things that you look at for improvements that say you know? Somebody buys a piece of land. Sometimes it takes a few years to build it up, and yep. Yep. and it's it's hard to do that, and it takes time and it takes patience, which you know is is difficult to, to say that you have you know right you know like I got this land, I want to hunt it. But what's some of the first things that you could look at to make improvements for you know to examine? Yeah, so let's just you know I'm looking at property. One of the first things I'm looking at is what we talk about, kind of what does what does the diversity look like, you know. What, what percentage of acres is wooded? What percentage of acres is open? Okay, so, so you know that. Um, how old is the timber? Um, let's say, you know, middle-aged plantation pine or hardwoods, how old the age? Um, one of the first things I would do would be, okay, when, when was the timber thin? When was it cut? Um, you know, that's kind of the beauty of land. There's no cookie cutter scenario i mean every i mean it doesn't matter how long you've had a property for like at my family's farm it's been in the family for 60 or 70 years over a five-year span you're always doing something you need to be always doing something you know you you create a good wildlife habitat but things change uh trees grow trees fall you know that sort of thing so it's important to look at timber um you know thinning timber uh Cutting, clear cutting timber is excellent for, for deer habitat. So that's the first thing I'm looking at. What's the age of the timber? When was it cut? How has it been managed? And really, you could come up with a timber management plan. And really, you don't even have to 
hire somebody to do that, you can. Um, but but just kind of make yourself knowledgeable on timber. And, you know, the best thing about timber is not only do you make money when you cut it, you make your deer hunting better, which everyone wants that. You, you're, you're basically getting paid to make your hunting better. So when you buy something with timber, that's that's the beauty of it. And that's the first thing I'm looking at is the first two things really is what kind of diversity do I have on the property and what can I do from a timber standpoint, not only to make money as an investment to improve the wildlife habitat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, the, the timber thinning tends to be a kind of a strategic move exactly for the reasons that you said, right. It's an income source. It becomes an investment because you get later income sources from the trees that grow after the thinning. And then you're also improving your habitat because you're relieving that crown spacing, meaning the distance between and I'm going to talk from terms of people that maybe don't know what crown spacing is, right? There's most of our listeners are probably going to know, but yep. I, I, tend to, I tend to work it from that level of people that don't. And it's, you know, you're working with that space between the crowns of the trees. And if you're not allowing light to the undergrowth, you have a dead zone, right? Like you're not going to yep. get that forage area down below. And so you have to be able to allot for light and you have to be able to make it not as competitive for other plants to get up there, right? That's right. I mean, that's, and, that, and that's another high priority thing to look for let's just say you have 100 acres really look for dead like you said dead areas like maybe it maybe it's 40 50 year old pine that's never been cut it's not producing acorns there's no underbrush underneath it is a dead zone you know you may have 10 acres of just it provides you could see a deer in that area moving through but it's really providing no recreational or really investment value in these cut it's just there. I mean, it's that's that's the biggest thing in my mind is identifying dead areas, areas that provide no food cover, X amount, you know, of that sort of thing. And uh, and, and either removing it or manipulating it from a timber cutting uh, standpoint. I mean, you, you got to every acre counts. I mean, you're, you, you know, somebody's spending all this money. They, they want to kill deer and have good areas to hunt. So. Um, you know, every acre counts. That's kind of my philosophy. But you can't just, you know, you can't just forget about. Well, this ten acres over here, you know, it's it's nothing, but it's fine. No, I mean, ten acre, ten acres can hold a lot of deer. You know, and that's, oh yeah, that's my motto. And uh, every every acre can provide something. So, and that was going to be a question that I asked: is what's what's sort of the acreage, you know, limitations that you look to target? Is it five and up? Is it ten and up? Um, or, or is it kind of your stance that like you can hunt deer anywhere just as long as you have the ability to do so in the land around you to, to facilitate it? Yeah. Um, and, and I would say, I mean, even, even areas as small as one to two acre blocks of where you cut timber or let an area grow up. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, one acre, I can feed a lot of deer throughout a course of a year. So, and I, I and kind of what I would recommend is, I mean, obviously you can, you know, clear cut your trees at some point, you're going to create good deer and, and wildlife habitat, but from a good mixture, a balance of timber recreation, maybe you have a hundred acre block of hardwoods, maybe cut you three or four, four or five acre clear cut zones within that hundred acres. So you still have your, you know, pretty hardwoods, acre producing areas. Um, but then you have kind of select spots within that hundred acres of bedding and cover. And, and it's kind of like a sanctuary for them. You know, that's four to five, you know, several four or five acre blocks is plenty of cover and food for deer. They're going to, they're going to live everywhere, but, but you know, they can always, they can always come there to eat, sleep, lay down, whatever they're do, whatever they're going to do. I mean, it's, that, that's a really all it takes, you know, just several, you know, just several areas for them to, you know, have, have some kind of cover. Yeah, I love talking to you guys about your deer populations, you know, down in Mississippi, Missouri, yeah. Alabama, because I, I live in the Northwest and, you know, I'll end up walking 100 miles in a season and see, you know, a handful. <laughs> and you, can yeah. get these, you guys get these crazy populations down there. You, just, you, you don't have to walk anywhere in Mississippi. You just ride down the road. You're gonna <laughs> I'm jealous. I've got some jealousy in me. Um, so you mentioned clear cutting and let's talk about the uses of that. Cause I mean, you, I think you already touched on it, but not necessarily in terms of clear cutting. Cause you're talking about bedding cover and forage. And, and so tell me a little bit about how you manage a clear cut. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, it especially let's, 
I'm kind of partial to hardwood trees, oak trees, you know, so I, I would never recommend unless they just had to have the money. I would never recommend from a recreational standpoint, clear cutting hardwoods. What I would look to do is select cuts, thinnings, you know, that way you're leaving yourself plenty of hardwood trees, but you're also creating, you know, wildlife habitat, briars, undergrowth, that sort of thing for deer. Um, now, now pine trees are different because they don't really produce, you know, the tree itself doesn't really produce any food. Um, so at a certain age, you know, pine trees are planted to be cut, you know, hard, from, from a hardwood tree standpoint, they're planted to generate food. And, you know, they obviously look pretty, uh, especially in the fall and winter time. But, uh, but yeah, so pine trees, in my opinion, they're planted to be cut. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and there's a lot of benefits to pine trees, but, but at a certain point, um, you know, it just kind of depends on your, your timber price in your local market and that sort of thing. But, you know, let's just say 30 plus years old, you're looking at a clear cut. Um, it's just, I mean, there, there's, there's really no value in leaving some, I mean, I would, you know, if you have a 50 acre, you know, plantation pine area, you know, you just cut it and, you know, and then after that point, you know, it's kind of a fresh start. You can let it grow for X amount of years and be cover bedding food for deer. You can replant it, which you also get, you know, at their young age, um, you also provide a lot of that stuff. And really pine, it's just, it's constant. You know, you cut it, you plant it, you thin it, you cut it. I mean, it's just like a rotation. So every, you know, every really once they get to 15 years old, every five or six years, you're thinning it. So you, you can constantly provide something for the deer during that, from that middle age to its maturity. Um, you're constantly, uh, giving deer, you know, you're benefiting from the pines and then you, know, you cut it, get your money and start over. You know, it's a, it's kind of a never ending process, but which is a good thing. It always can provide something, uh, you know, and that's kind of like we talked about removing the dead areas. I mean, it's that, you know, whenever it gets to a certain point, you cut it and you start over and you get, you get the, the, the benefit of, you know, what can provide the deer, turkey, you know, any other kind of game. Yeah. And hardwoods are sort of an investment there too, just because it takes so darn long to get a mature yeah. hardwood tree. Like cutting those down is a little hard to do a lot of the times just because it's like, man, that thing is 80 years old. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, it's, it's, it, the, the, those hardwood trees uh, last longer than, than most humans. So, you know, th there's, and especially at our farm and other people I've talked to, there's definitely a sentimental value with them. But, and, and, but you know, and even pine trees, they can be 150, 200 years old and they're still producing food for deer. I mean, that's it's whenever they start, you know, um, other, you know, some years there's droughts and whatnot, but most of the time, 90% of the time, they're producing food from age, you know, 30 to 150 years old. So it's, it's, you know, you can cut them from, from an investment standpoint, but the good thing is if you leave them, they're still providing some food and that sort of thing. And there's, you know, there's different kind of trees you can plant, you know, kind of a, kind of the up and coming popular oak tree, at least in the South is called a sawtooth oak. And they, they, they produce acorns, you know, 10 to 15 years old. Um, oh, wow. Okay. So very fast. Um, so, you know, from the time you plant them, you really don't have to wait that long. I mean, they're, they're producing and, uh, you know, I like how you're looking at 10 to 15 years old as fast. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. And then, and, you know, these white oak and red oaks down here, I mean, they might take 30 years to produce an acre. So, right. So, so, so there's options and opportunities from, you know, what kind of species of tree, even within the hardwood range. Um, you know, you can give yourself diversity, not only in pine and hardwood, but within the hardwood, you can plant different type of trees. Uh, there's just so that's the, that's the beauty of owning, uh, and buying land is there's so many opportunities, uh, from an investment and recreational standpoint to improve your land, make money, you know, do, do, do the things everyone wants to do. Let, let's talk food plots real quick. Cause you mentioned them and, um, and I'm curious on your stance because everybody sort of has their own approach to food plots and it's it seems like one of those things it's like it's like two people arguing tractors right and, and like yep. i didn't say that just because we had a tractor podcast with john deere and they were fantastic but like you get people that are partial to different things and it's like no you never do that always do this and and you know it depends on who you talk to and and there's advocates for um you know they'll they'll prioritize legumes because of the the protein level that those have and you know the effect on antlers or there's people that will just 
go for the quickest, dirtiest plant that they can get up there and get people to feed and get animals to feed on, or, or they'll go all natural and just go with native plants that animals feed on as well. Um, and look at that soil cultivation. There's people that, that look at sort of like enhancing soil biomes, or there's people that look at, you know, fertilizing and, and doing, you know, like chemical enrichment on the soil and, and, you know, there's till and no till. So if you're a landowner looking at this and you want to hunt your land pretty quick, right? Like you want to get in there and, and, you know, you, you've got your, your quick fixes, you've identified your listing or I'm saying listing, you've identified your property, right? Yeah. What's, what's sort of your approach to establishing a food plot area and how do you manage that? Right. So, you know, it's obviously important. uh, And from a hunting standpoint and to feed the deer nutritional standpoint, it's important to have food sources on your property you know, you have your natural food sources, your acorns, uh, your sage or whatever, uh, you know, browse deer can eat. But it's also important to plant food plots. It makes makes hunting easier, more fun, uh, and you're also benefiting your deer herd. So, you know, a lot of it depends on, you know, how much money someone either has or is willing to spend or really how bad they want to kill big deer or see a lot of deer. Um, you know, something, something I would recommend in it, you know, it's very time consuming, but but I think it would pay off is to have year round food sources. And by that, I mean, maybe in the fall and winter, plant your normal food plots. Um, and maybe later in the spring, early summer rolls around, you could plant what I would call summer food plots. And there's a lot of options you could, you know, it, and it kind of just depends on the property you have, which goes, which actually goes back to the point we talked about diversity you leave yourself, you buy yourself some open land with the timber. Well, with that open land comes food plot opportunities, uh, summer food plot opportunities. Um, you know, you could plant soybeans, um, clover, and it, a lot of it just kind of depends on where you are and, and what grows the best in your region. But I, I think that's extremely beneficial because that's the time of the year uh, deer's antlers are growing, you know, late May, early June. Um, you know, that, that food is just as important, if not more important than the food they're eating in December, January, February. Um, so, you know, if money's no object, um, or, or someone has the financial stability to spend that kind of money, um, I, I would definitely recommend not only doing food plots in the winter, whether it's down here, we see a lot of ryegrass, wheat, oats, that sort of thing. Um, and in the summer, you can you can kind of be flexible. There's there's lots of different options. There's vetch, uh, clover, soybeans, corn, uh, that sort of thing. And and just give. And not only is that going to make your deer herd better from a nutritional, uh, genetics, whatever standpoint, you're also going to hold more deer on your property during the non-hunting months. And what's going to happen is you're going to draw deer off neighbors. You're going to keep them on your place, and actually gives yourself a better chance to manage your herd and, you know, have more bucks on your property, which gives you a better chance during the season. So that's a huge point that you bring up there. The, the, I, I think a lot of people, when they look at a rec tract, they're, they're looking at establishing a food plot related to hunting season, right? Where right. it's like, I want to have the food ready when the deer are ready and when I can harvest a deer. And, and it's not necessarily the case because if you haven't provided consistent food, the deer won't know that there's food there in the first place, right? Like you don't have that right. traffic pattern built up and you build that habit just, just due to, I mean, you know, you're working with primarily with whitetail in that area and they tend to be territorial. And if you haven't established a territory with food year round, then they're not going to like just all of a sudden magically appear. Right. Um, yeah. You know, you have to yeah. establish that habit. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, deer have different patterns. They have summer patterns, winter patterns, fall patterns, spring pattern, whatever. Um, but, but the number one thing that uh, it doesn't matter if it's March, December, January, October, deer are going to eat every day. I mean, for the most part, they're going to eat every day. So if you provide food, you're going to have deer, you know, if you're in a good area where there's a lot of deer, if they're going to feed where they're going to be where the food are. And in the winter, they're going to be where the does are, but they're also going to be where the food is. So, you know, that's if you have food, you you will have you either have have deer or have the potential to have deer. And the more deer you have, the more bucks you're going to have. And that's just kind of how it works. And you're you're also going to have, you know, the more food you have, uh, you know, the bigger deer you're going to have just because they have more chances to stay healthy and 
have plenty of nutrients and everything that, you know, for their, for their bodies and their antlers. I was going to say happy, happy deer usually end up being big deer. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They, 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 they don't get big by starving. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Well, and so, um, one thing I was going to ask you, and I, you know, I've had a, I've had a few conversations on wildlife management and, and just this, this one came up cause I talked to one of our agents in Texas, Wayne Dunson, and, and, uh, he was talking about depredation and he had, he has huge coyote issues out there. And I, what do you, what do you have in Mississippi? And is that a concern? Yeah. I mean, predators in Mississippi is, uh, is, it's gotten very bad. Um, I think opening day of rifle season in Mississippi was the 19th of November. Uh, the first morning of the season, I saw a coyote, which I missed. He was running and, and <laughs> I should have killed him, but I missed. And then that afternoon, I killed two bobcats in the same hunt within five minutes of being in the stand. So that kind of tells you, you know, the, in a couple of hours that I hunted on the first day of the season, I saw three different predators. So obviously throughout the season, you're going to see more than that. So. Right. You know, that's we, we actually had a trapper on our place. Um, he caught I mean, he caught 30 something plus coyotes, 10 plus bobcats. This has been several years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 only working, you know, he was only working several just a few areas of the place. So, I mean, then that was within a year span. And he killed over 30, you know, trapped over 30 coyotes, 15 bobcats, possum, skunks, you name it. He He caught it. Um, you know, that, and that's just a small sample size, but there's no doubt it's an issue. I would recommend, I would shooting every coyote and bobcat you see, <laughs> if, you have, if you have the stomach for it and you know, you want, you want the, you know, the best available wildlife. I mean, they're, they're eating fawns, turkey eggs, you name it. They're eating, I mean, they're like deer. They got to eat. I mean, they're, I was going to say it's, it's one of those, they, things they don't eat, they don't eat vegetation. They eat meat. So, yep. I mean, you know, they're, I mean, that's what, that's, that's how they live. I mean, that's, you know, kind of like everything else they're going to do what they have to sur- to survive. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, I would recommend trapping. Uh, you know, I've never done the stay out all night with a thermal scope. You know, some people do that. I've never done that, but um, you know, it kind of depends on the property, but, but I would absolutely come up with a plan or make a concerted effort during deer season to eliminate as many as you can, because there, it, it limits it, I mean, they're actually, they're killing deer, they're scaring deer. Uh, you know, it may make deer more nocturnal, you know, it may change their patterns. It can just have a negative effect just across the board. Yeah. And that's one of those things that I, I think that gets overlooked when somebody's looking at, you know, a recreational piece of land is that, you know, because the the first things you look at, you know, like you said, you look at the trees, you look at the food, you look at the cover, those kind of things. And if you pull in deer, you're going to have predators. And if you have predators, you're going to have to manage them because otherwise they're going to scare your deer out. And it's, you know, th- there are a lot of different camps on like people that, that don't want to harm predators just because of the value of having diversity of wildlife. But it's also one of those things you have to give and take where like, yeah, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right. In that situation, you can't have all the predators and have a healthy deer population. And, you know, so you do have to manage for those things. Right. Right. And and I mean, you know, and and I would say to that person that likes to have predators and, you know, those people are out there, but, but like (laughs) non-joking in a non-joking aspect, uh, they can sleep easy at night knowing that, you know, it's like hogs, you're never going to eliminate them you know, you basically just do the best you can. You will never kill every coyote, bobcat, hawk, whatever. You will never kill every one of them. So, you know, but, but, but that being said, you need to, you know, eliminate as many as you can. Um, you know, it's like, it's like with food and deer. I mean, if, if you've got deer, you've got predators. So if you have no predators, that's, that means you have no deer. So, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, it's a catch 22, but you know, it's something, you know, you can keep it under control. Um, you're never going to eliminate all of them and you shouldn't try, but, but you, sh- but, but, but you should make an effort to eliminate as many as you can. It will only benefit you short term, long term. I was going to uh, say that's why they call it management and not elimination. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just like people, you know, it, it, it's healthy for a deer herd to remove some deer, you know, every year, you know, cause food is scarce. I mean, there's only so much food, but it's the same thing. I mean, you know, coyote, I mean, every, for every coyote you kill, you're, I mean, there's no telling in their lifetime how many de- deer, 
deer, turkey, turkey eggs that one coyote is eating. So, I mean, even if you took – let's just say you took five off your place in a season, you just did yourself. I mean, yeah, there's still probably some out there, but, you know, you, you just saved yourself so many animals in the process. I was going to say, too, and, and it's been something that, that I have learned lately is just how much of an effect it can have if you even have – so you brought up skunks, right? So skunks, raccoons, bobcats, those kind of things – the impact that they have on your like your turkey populations or or right. say if you if you were if you're a game bird person you know your quail populations those kind of things get absolutely impacted not even so much that you know you you're not going to find any raccoon that's going to catch a live quail but they will eat all of the eggs right so oh, yeah. it's, it's oh, one yeah. of the things to consider you know and i and i say that because quail are very fast and raccoons i don't think have that speed but um <laughs> you know but yeah, and they don't fly. It's a flying raccoon would scare the uh, yeah, that'd be terrifying. Um, but you know those kind of things that I think that get overlooked when somebody is looking at making an improvement to their land is they can manage for all of it, and you might not see much of an impact. And it might be because you have a predator problem out of the gate that you have to manage as well. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's no doubt. I mean, we've had I I, I want to say the best, and I don't I don't think it was a coincidence. As far as turkeys go, the best turkey season from a gobbling standpoint, as far as how many we heard, how vocal they were, was the year after we had the trapper down there. Um, and then and then since then, you know, we've had some good turkey seasons, but it's kind of slowly kind of re- resorted back to the mean. I just I, I, there's no way it's that big of a coincidence. Um, you know, just, you know, the turkeys are there, deer are there. Uh, you know, but it also, it scares them away. It's going to move them to other areas. Um, you know, it's just that it just lowers the activity uh, across the board. I mean, if deer are constantly, they're seeing a coyote every day, well, they're not going to stay there. They're going to, they're, they're going, they're, they're going to keep moving until they get away from. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, just, just from a, from a number, it's a numbers game as far as eliminating them, saving actual deer, but you're also benefiting from, you know, deer kind of settling down into a you know a, a habit you know where, where they're going to be where they're going to feed uh you know what time of day they're going to move that sort of thing yeah so and let's talk a little bit about mixed use because i know that with you with you running you know five thousand acres out there and you, you manage it for both you know agriculture purposes and recreational purposes um what sort of a do do you how do you divide up your your ag versus your you know your recreational tracks do you, do you fence it off between the areas because I've I, you know I, I've talked to plenty of people that do that or do you keep it wide open so they can go back and forth because obviously you don't want your deer eating all your crops um so so how do how do you manage those sort of situations we we you know and we've actually we've actually we have some cows in our place they're not mine they're they're my, my little cousin uh, it runs cows which also uh, benefits the land, you know, they're, they're, they're keeping the grass low. Uh, you know, they just, they're just, I think they're kind of a under, under the radar, good thing to have on a place. I, I think turkeys hang out a lot where cows are. Um, so that's, so yes, we, we do have a lot of fencing. Um, there's opportunities. Let's just say you plant a two acre, you know, summer food plot, uh, whether it's soybeans or whatever, uh, there's opportunities, uh, you know, to, put up electric fencing, uh, barbed wire fencing, at least until the grass gets to a certain height where, you know, cause deer, I mean, we've had it on our place. I mean, something sprouts one inch and two days later it's gone. You know, it never, it never matures. It never, you know, once it gets to a certain height growth, you know, it's going to take them a while to eat it all. So I, I do think, you know, it just depends if you're planting a huge, like 50 acre field, they're, they're not probably not going to hurt that. But if you're planting five acres or less, yeah, they can they can hurt it immediately, and it just depends how hungry they are, what the you know that year's food source is looking like. So yeah, there I would definitely recommend whether it's barbed wire fencing, electric fence like we use for cows, um, just something to kind of just keep them away from the area until it gets to a certain height, and then you can just kind of turn them loose and then here they yeah, yeah. They've been looking at it. They've been they've been smelling it. Uh, That's know. a good consideration too. Like I hadn't thought about that one either. As far as like when you're when you're developing a food plot, fence it off because they're like little biological lawnmowers, right? So you oh, know, yeah. you'll end up with nothing right away. So you got to let that that you're not only growing your deer population, you're growing the food population as you go. Fence it off, let it grow, and then let them in. Yeah, I mean, you know, deer love 
they love something new, just anything new. So right when acorns start to fall, they're going to go eat it because it's something new. They hadn't had it in 10 and a half months. They're going to it. Same with grass. They're as soon, as soon as it comes up that first, you know, let's just say it gets a rain and two weeks later it's up. Well, that between week one and two, when it's, you know, sprouted up enough to where they can eat it, they're going to go eat it because number one, it's new. They like new. And number two, you know, the grass at that age is real tender, soft. You know, I, obviously, I don't know from experience, but that's what that's what that's what hunters and, and biologists say. You know, it, it tastes better. It's easier to eat, easier to digest, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's just something new to them. I mean, you know, if, if, if someone brings you something new that you hadn't had in a long time, you, you're, you're looking forward to it. Same with deer. I mean. You know, they, oh, no, they, it's, it's they, the they've been eating all these things for months, 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 months. Well, they get tired of it. They want something else. Man, it's the it's the holiday season right now, man. I'm living off of Christmas and Thanksgiving chocolates. Yeah, that, that's why everybody <laughs> likes, uh, you know, turkey and dressing during Thanksgiving, because that probably hadn't had it any other time. And then it, then it rolls around and everybody's all in. Awesome. Um, so so you've been doing this for 10 years, um, yeah. you know, and in, in going through. You know, I, I have the I have the the fortune of like being able to come in as a backseat quarterback and look at all the listings that you've done in the past. You do a great job with photography, and it seems like you work really well to to enhance people's land and how people view land when you list it. Um, is that sort of how is is that kind of your approach to um, to getting these listings, you know, ready to go? Is kind of going around and looking at improvements that people can make in the meantime? Because a lot of the stuff that it looks like you help people out a little bit with this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm going to look at uh, either a potential new listing or new listing, I'm obviously going to look it up on the map before I go. And, you know, you want to take pictures of the property, you know, and there's always a few pictures. They're going to be in every property. You know, there's going to be a, you know, access road, you know, you're going to take pictures of that. But what I'll do before I go is, okay, let's, let's just say I'm looking at a hundred acres and I see it's got a big creek going through it. Okay, well, I know I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take a picture of that creek, you know, because that's just something specific people like to see. Probably is you know has a scenic view at some point. So I will target things while looking at a map before I go to the place. Like I'm gonna take pictures of this. So if I'm going to a wreck track, I'm I'm looking at the maps. You know, I'm look. Okay, well, there's food plots. A hunter wants to see that food plot. He wants to see that deer stand. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to take just generic pictures throughout like everybody, but I, I think it's important to, uh, you know, for yourself in selling a property and also looking for potential buyers, you know, kind of knowing what they want to see, you know, a hunter wants to see deer stands, food plots, internal roads. Um, you know, what does the timber look like? You know, if it's in the fall, you can walk out into a hardwood track and take a picture of acorns because they want to, you know, that's, that's just kind of, you got to, you know, you're obviously going to take pictures of the prettiest parts of the place, but you also have to take pictures of what people want to see, you know, and it's, you know, everybody wants to see, there's got a brand new $2,000 deer stand. Well, they want to see, you know, that sort of thing. And they want to see this pretty Creek, uh, food plot, hardwood Ridge, you know, you just, Take take pictures that appeal, you know, from a from a salesman tactic, but also just benefits it benefits your seller and the buyer. You know, they kind of know, you know, they kind of know what to look for because when they go out, that's where it, they're going to have already looked at the map, just like I have, and they're going to target those areas too. Yeah, and and I, you know, I wanted to bring that up because it, it does it does look like you you've worked with landowners a bit before they go to market, and which is awesome and. And, and, you know, it's helpful to know, too, like if you're looking at selling your land, the things that you want to manage exactly like what you just said, right? Like you want to make sure you've managed the areas that where you have your tree stands. You want to make sure that you've managed your access routes. You yep. want to make sure that you've managed your food plots. And if you haven't, it's a good time to do that if you're looking to sell because it, or, or and, and that's also sort of like where your expertise comes in. Like you want to talk to a land professional like like Jonathan here to where you know sort of what to present, how to put your best foot forward when you go to market. Otherwise, you might not get the mass appeal that you would otherwise, right? That, that, that's right. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, there's a lot of curb appeal uh, that's involved with it. You know, if someone pulls up to two properties, they're the same price, 
basically the same property, which one are they going to buy? Are they going to buy the one where the roads are bush hogged, the fields are bush hogged, the food plots are bush hogged, the food plots are planted, or are they going to go up to this property right across the street? Same everything, but it's not been kept up. And, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of money to, to, to you know, it's mainly just a little money and time. Um, but, but I've countless times have I been to a, you know, decently nice property and it was not well maintained. It, it hadn't been cut in several years and it may be, it may, you know, in the grand scheme of things be the better property, but, you know, from a, from a seller's value standpoint and from a buyer's, you know, perspective, they're, they're going to, like the tiebreaker is always going to be the, the more, uh, manicured property. And I mean, selfishly, it makes it easier for me because the pictures are going to look better. <laughs> it's going to be easier for me to access the property. I mean, countless times have I got, shown up to a property, you know, you never know what to expect and you get out there and it's, you're, you know, you're just walking through briar. I mean, it's just, you know, you know, it, ha- it happens and, and it's hard to maintain your property, but uh, you're definitely losing yourself some money and you, you're making it hard, you know, Everybody, everybody jokes that the realtors make all this easy money, but you get out walking through uh, a briar patch. There, there, that's nothing easy about that. So, and, and it's not, and it's going to be a hard sell, you know, on top of you know, hard to get good pictures, you know, advertising that sort of thing. Yeah, and you bring up a really great point when you're talking about the the undergrowth and managing the land, and like it, your your ability to sell the land that you are you that you're wanting to sell it could be the difference between a few hours on a tractor and a brush hog, right. To, to make it all the way, you know, to, to really make it present. Well, it's not a huge investment. You're talking time and gas and hooking that thing up and driving. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, something as simple, you know, my advice to landowners would be, let's just say you've got a $500,000 property. You're really, you know, you've got to be able to spend a thousand dollars. I mean, you know, spend a thousand dollars in the grand scheme of things is nothing. You can spend that thousand dollars, whether you do it yourself or you pay somebody to do it, whether it's a dozer, a tractor, a bush hog, you know, even the, even the, the tiniest of things, as far as just, just clearing the roads out and opening up, you know, bush hogging a food plot. We're not talking about cut every blade of grass on the property. We're just talking about access points, trails, because that's where people are going to be. You know, they're, you know, not every buyer is just going to tear off through the woods sweating. No, he's going to go down the easiest path of resistance, just like, you know, just like I would as a realtor, just like a deer would, uh, any animal. I mean, they're, they're going to, you know, that's where they're going to go. If you know a person is going down that road, it needs to be bush hog, in my opinion. You know, you don't have to spend, you know, it just, and it depends how much money you have to spend. You don't have to cut every blade of grass. Just, just, just manicure the places that people are going to look. You know, they're going to want to see food plots, roads, that sort of thing. And that, you know, just, just little things like that can make a huge difference. I, I, the, I, I always kind of laugh at that too, because it, it seems it's always kind of a thing, right? Where somebody says, I want to improve my land. How do I do that? And it's like, how much can you afford? Because you could yeah. make a palace immediately if you drop yeah. money on it. So it's, yeah. it's one of those, like, you got to work within your budget. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I mentioned this on uh, my blog article uh, a couple months ago. I mean, you get out what you put in. I mean, if you, if you get out there, you bush hog, um, you, you spend money on deer stands, food plots, that sort of thing. You're, you're only benefiting, you know, yourself from a comfort standpoint and enjoyment, but, but from a, from a hunting aspect, I mean, you know, you know, it's just, it, it's great. Uh, you know, and, and you get a little sentimental value from, from sweat equity too. you know, a little feel good aspect, you know, it's not always fun at the time, but every year when I get done, you know, doing food plots, you know, there's kind of like a satisfaction from, you know, you put in the time, um, you know, it's ready. And, and, and I feel like, you know, every, if someone does good things like that, you know, they're going to be rewarded, you know, whether it's, you know, other people making memories or you making memories or whatever, you know, it's just kind of, you get out what you put in. It's very cliche, but but it's very true at the same time. Oh yeah. Well, hey, um, you know, don't want to hold you for your whole day here, but uh, let me know how do, how does somebody get a hold of you and what do you work with primarily? Yeah. So um, my cell phone number is six zero one two seven eight one five four eight. My email is j stevens uh, stevens with a v s t e v e n s at nationalland.com. And I'm licensed in Mississippi. Uh, so, you know, I, I really don't, 
limit myself to a specific area in Mississippi. I'll, I'll, I'll take, you know, I'll take a listing North Mississippi, South, East, West, Central. Uh, I live in Madison, which is a suburb of Jackson, Mississippi, uh, which is middle part of the state. And uh, my branch is in Kosciuszko, uh, you know, not too far from here. Uh, and, and you know, kind of I don't really limit myself to a specific area. And I also don't limit myself to a specific type of property. I've done commercial uh, pasture, row crop, timberland, et cetera. Most of my, my, my sweet spot is definitely recreational timberland uh, properties, you know, in, in the, the benefit of Mississippi is you can hunt anywhere. You can, you can, you can kill a deer anywhere. So I'll work anywhere. That, you know, that's, that's kind of how, you know, that's kind of how I operate. I like it. Well, hey, Jonathan, I appreciate your time and your knowledge and your expertise here um, and, and much appreciated. We'll have your uh, we'll have your your link to your your page uh, in the in the notes for the podcast so that anybody in Mississippi can reach out to you. Yeah, well, I appreciate you all having me on and uh, I'll come back anytime. Love to talk about, you know, hunting land, you know, anything in that realm. So uh, happy to do it. And I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Excellent. I look forward to it, man. Yes, sir. Have a great day. You too. This concludes episode number 25 of the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing land improvements for wild game with Mississippi land professional Jonathan Stevens. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com. reminder, please like, review, and share our show. Our show doesn't get found if people don't talk about it and hit that like button. So if you found this show valuable, others will too. Make sure to share it. As we get reviews, we'll share them on the podcast. Now, thank you again, and we'll see you next time.